Amen. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, as we read earlier, verses 11 through 44, we're going to continue on in that text. The message titled today, Forsaken by God. Let me just say this, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the Bibles in front of you and you can find Matthew's Gospel on page 783. Now, when you study the life of Christ, it it would be normal to look at the prophetic announcements of Christ, to, to read about his virgin birth, his sinless life, the transformative teachings, his compassionate healings, his sacrificial death, his bodily resurrection, his glorious ascension. And then we look forward to his triumphant return. And often when we study his birth, we study many of the supernatural events that took place around the birth. First and foremost, foremost, the virgin birth. And then we might look at the angels that appeared. The wise men that showed up. The star that announced the birth of Christ. Yet when it comes to the death of Jesus... We don't normally talk about the supernatural events that took place other than, what? The resurrection. Yet, there was a whole flurry of supernatural events that took place at the cross. And Matthew gives us probably the most comprehensive account of these supernatural events. So what does it mean by supernatural? What does that word mean? I looked it up. It's an event attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding, beyond any laws of nature. So when you talk about the supernatural, you can't explain it by science. You can't explain it by the laws of nature. So I want to look at five supernatural events that took place at the cross. And each one of these are a reminder for us of what Christ has done. Here's the first one. The darkness over the land. It's a reminder that Jesus bears your wrath. Look at verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Now, it is believed that Jesus was crucified around 9 a.m., which would have been the third hour. And it says here that from the sixth hour, which would have been noon, there was darkness. In fact, there was a deep darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Now, you have to just step back and realize, here it is, broad daylight, and then all of a sudden, darkness. No ambient light. I mean, there's, you know, the the street lights don't all of a sudden kick on. There's no lights in people's homes. Nothing. Darkness. Now, some people might say, some people have said, well, this was an eclipse. But that's impossible because Passover always lands on a full moon. And an eclipse can only happen when there's a new moon. And besides which, an eclipse lasts for a couple minutes. This lasted for three hours. 
This was a supernatural event of creation mourning its creator. It was actually prophesied in Amos chapter 8, verse 9. Amos says this, And on that day declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. 800 years before darkness came over the land, the prophet Amos prophesied it. And it's at this point that Jesus experienced his greatest suffering where the sins of, of, of mankind was laid upon him. Darkness over all the land. The father was effectively saying, I don't know you. As we see in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, where Jesus says to those that profess to know Christ, he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I don't know you. This was a devastating moment. Jesus had been betrayed by friends. He'd been abandoned by all but John. He'd been mocked by the Jews, beaten and tortured by the Roman soldiers. And now he was left alone from the Father. He was bearing the punishment for the world's sins. He was experiencing separation from God from eternity past. Perfect harmony. The Trinity and now all of a sudden, he's experiencing for the first time ever separation. Jesus was bearing the wrath for sins that you deserved. All in this moment. And the darkness lasted for three hours. And then, whether it was right before or right after, at 3 p.m., there's this loud shout, verse 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here Jesus is on the cross, which is one of the, it is considered the most brutal type of death. In fact, you at this point, he would have been barely able to breathe because what they'll do is they, they nail your feet through the cross. They nail your arms through the cross, and you just hang there, and you have to pull yourself up even to get a breath. And so it would have been supernatural even for him to be able to yell at that point. But he cries out. It was a desperate cry of an abandoned son to his father. But it was also at that point potentially... Jesus pointing them to Psalm 22, the great messianic psalm. In fact, back then they didn't have Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 3. Each psalm was known for its first line. And so Psalm 22, and you can go there if you like. Psalm 22 starts out by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus very well may have been pointing them, all that were listening, back to Psalm 22 saying, this psalm speaks of me. In fact, in Psalm 22, 6, it says, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him re rescue him, for he delights in him. And then verse 14, all these 
point to what happened to Jesus through his beating and crucifixion. Verse 14 says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breasts. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death for the dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. These words written by David a thousand years before the death of Christ. Over 800 years before crucifixion was even invented by the Chaldeans. And yet, my hands and my feet are pierced. Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's pointing them back to Psalm 22 saying, this is, this is speaking about me. But he also speaks of the fact that in this moment he is being forsaken. What does that mean? It means to abandon, to desert, to leave behind uncared for. Because of sin, the son was completely cut off from the father. In fact, it's a reminder that that our sin has made a separation between us and God. It's a chasm that we cannot forge. There is only one way we can be brought back into right relationship with Jesus or with the Father. And that is through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. It was in this moment that the Messiah, Jesus was alone, bearing the guilt of all mankind. In fact, we sang about it earlier, but in 2 Corinthians 5.21, I'll put it on the screen. For our sake, he being God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who was sinless, became sin. He took on our sin. Why? So we might receive the perfect righteousness of Christ. So now we can enter into God's presence. Now some thought that when Jesus said, Eli, Eli, that he was calling for Elijah. In fact, Eli is Aramaic for God. Look at verse 47. It says, some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine And put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Some mocked, but some had compassion. This man took some sour wine. Now, I thought about this and I imagine some of you, why sour wine? Was this to torture Jesus? Well, actually, sour wine in the first century was drunk daily by by common people. They drink it with their meals. It was a a thirst quencher. And maybe it belonged to one of the Roman soldiers, but he put it in a sponge and he took it up to give Jesus something to drink. Now, the mockers may have tried to stop him uh, from giving him the wine, seeing if Elijah would come. 
They said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. This was a heartbreaking moment. And then you get one last cry. Verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. That loud voice, it's megaphone. That's where we get the word megaphone. This piercing cry. And yielded up his spirit. The Son of God is dead. Yet we see Jesus still controlling the events here. He yielded up his spirit. In fact, John 10, 18. John 10, 17 says, For this reason the Father loves me, because uh, I lay my life down, that I may take it up again. And then John chapter 10, verse 18, it says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Jesus came to earth for one reason. God took on flesh to die a sacrificial death that we could have eternal life. He gave up his spirit. So the first supernatural event, the darkness over the land, it's a reminder that Jesus is bearing your wrath. Here's the second the tearing of the veil. God telling you to boldly come. Look at verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now the, the, the temple mount was this massive complex that had a, it was almost like concentric circles. You had these, these outer courts that were the court of the Gentiles. And then you had the court of the women. And then you had the court of the Jews. And then you go into the temple where the priests would make sacrifices. And within the temple, you had the holy place. And within the holy place, beyond that, beyond the veil, you had the holy of holies, which the, the high priest would go in once a year. That's where the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was. It, was. it represented the very presence of God. And there the high priest once a year would go and make atonement for the people by, by, by uh, sprinkling blood on the altar. Why? Because uh, Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide. And some have said that it was, it was finely woven up to uh, 12 inches thick, and it's torn from top to bottom at the moment that Jesus cries his last. So what does that represent? That's effectively God tearing open the veil saying, now you can boldly come in. The curtain represented the separation between God and the people. And now because of the death of Jesus, who is our high priest, we can boldly enter into his presence. He is saying the offering of Jesus is the perfect and final sacrifice for sin. It's an amazing thing. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says that through the, the, the tearing of his flesh, he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between Gentile and Jew. And now we all have the ability to enter in. In fact, 
Look what Hebrews 10, 19 through 23 says. The writer of Hebrews says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It is because of Jesus' death, our sins are now forgiven. We are made righteous. We can boldly come in. He is saying, he is inviting us to come into his presence through the death of his son. In fact, Hebrews 4.16 says this, let us then with confidence Not with wavering, but with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is an amazing invitation. When Jesus died, the temple, the curtain in the temple was torn. Top to bottom, it was a work of God. And now we as as those who have, have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ can enter in. The supernatural event, it's the tearing of the veil. It's God telling you to boldly come. Let me ask you, do you boldly come to him? Is your relationship such that when you sin, you go to him? When you're struggling, you go to him. When you have anxiety, you go to him. He says, come. That's the heart of our Lord. Let's look at the third supernatural event that took place. It's the shaking of the earth. God removing barriers for you to be raised. Look at verse 51 again. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook. And the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. Okay. Imagine yourself, you're at the cross. It's a place of agony. It's a place of mocking, of tears. The sky's been pitch black for three hours, and then you hear this piercing cry from Jesus. Word spreads that the veil in the temple has been torn. And then all of a sudden, the, the earth shakes violently. The rocks are splitting, and then all of a sudden, these tombs open up. I mean, how can you not think that something supernatural is happening in that moment? And it's almost as if God is saying that through the death of Jesus, I'm going to remove all barriers that would keep you from being raised to eternal life. It's an incredible thing to behold. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, you can now be reconciled to God. It's as if he's saying, put your faith in me. See, apart from Jesus' atoning death, we have no hope of being reconciled to God. So the shaking of the earth, it's almost as if God is removing barriers for you to be raised to eternal life, which leads now to the fourth supernatural event, and that's the raising of the saints. It's a reminder that in Christ, you will be raised to life. 
Look again at verse 52. The tombs were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy series, into the holy city, which is Jerusalem, and appeared to man. This is a picture of the resurrection of the saints. Those who had, in faith, died. And now all of a sudden we see that they're raised in this moment. And we know that they appeared to many. I mean, okay, think for a minute. Can you imagine returning from the market with your family? And suddenly, (laughs) you see these raised bodies. Okay, Martha, get the kids at home. Lock the door. I mean, we don't know if they were like Lazarus and they came out of the grave only to die again. Or if they ascended into heaven. The Bible doesn't tell us. This was a day no one would forget. This was a supernatural event. It's a reminder of what both 1 Corinthians 15 tells us and 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 tells us that in the last days, his saints will be raised to eternal life. And here's what it means for you. Like on that day 2,000 years ago, if you are in Christ, and that's a big condition, you will be raised with your new resurrection body. Some of you think you're doing pretty good with your bodies right now. Doesn't come close to resurrection body. Pam and I talk a lot about our resurrection bodies. We're looking forward to that day. In Christ, you will be raised to life. And then that leads to the fifth supernatural event at the cross. And that's the cry of the soldiers. Your, your salvation is a supernatural work of the Lord. It reminds us. We hear a cry of these soldiers that there is something supernatural going on. Look at verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. So what is a centurion? It's a Roman soldier. It's a commander of a legion of soldiers, generally 80, sometimes up to 100 soldiers. This centurion and this legion were probably responsible for keeping order at Golgotha. I mean, you can imagine family members seeing a a loved one being crucified, wanting to take them down. The soldiers would have seen hundreds, if not thousands of crucifixions. They most likely would have become numb to the brutality, to the, bro- to the blood, to the, to the body fluids, to the cries, to the horror of crucifixion. But there was something about this that was different. All the events that took place on this day were different. This one filled them, it says, with awe. That word awe, it's a word that also means terror. Terror to the greatest extent. In fact, based on what these Roman soldiers saw and based on what they experienced, they came to the only conclusion that made any sense at all. Notice what it says. Truly, this was the Son of God. They testified to the fact that this this one, 
Jesus was truly the Son of God. That's an amazing testimony. Those guys would be the last ones that anybody would have thought would confess Christ. Some of you might be like that. I know Pam and I were. There were people that said, like, they would never come to Christ. It's a reminder that salvation is a supernatural work of the Lord. These soldiers have gone from mocking to professing, from crucifiers to confessors. The fact is, a true confession of faith that Jesus is the Son of God, who came, who lived, who died, and was raised, that leads to eternal life. See, salvation is a supernatural work of the Lord. Let me ask you. Have you made a profession of faith? Has there been a time where you've turned from your sins? That's called repentance. And God has quickened you to turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the day of salvation. Have you received the supernatural work of the Lord? I want you to think about that as the Worship team comes up here. Now, Matthew tells us that there were many women looking on. I find this is interesting. Uh, Look at verse 55. It says, there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. I mean, think what it was like for those women I mean, they experience these supernatural events, and then all of a sudden, they see these soldiers confessing Jesus as Lord, that he was the Son of God. Matthew tells us about these five supernatural events. But there was one remaining supernatural event that would overshadow all all others. That would have to wait for three days. Father, what an amazing thing to even behold. That is an act of love. You would send your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die a sinner's death on the cross, a death we deserve. Reminded of the words of Jesus in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would have eternal life, would not perish and have eternal life. I'm reminded of Romans 5, 8 that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, let us never hear those words without really comprehending feeling the weight of what Jesus did for us. Father, we thank you for that sacrifice. But we also thank you for the fact that that sacrifice is not the end of the story. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.